ask you a, a simple question as we start our, our time of looking into the Word. I want to ask you, don't put the display up. I want to ask you if, how many of you have ever heard of the 1040 window? How many? Just a show of hands. One, two, three. Three. Three people. Jeez. That's good. It means that we've got a lot of work to do. I like that. So I want to show you what the 1040 window is. It's the reference between the 10 and 40 degrees north um, latitude on the world map. And the 1040 window is something that somebody by the name of Louis Ruch, I think his name is, just came up with in 1990, just to describe a particular part of the world that is in real need for the gospel to penetrate. You'll find that in that 1040 window, so the 10 latitude down at the bottom, the 40 latitude at the top, there are about 69 countries in there. There's about 5 billion people living in that portion. The most unreached people groups of the world are found in there. 97% of the unreached people groups. If we talk about an unreached people group, it's a people group like, for instance, the Afrikaans people. It's a people group like the Shona people or the Ndebele people. English are just all over. But I mean, you're talking about people groups that are unreached. That means that there's very little Christian presence or very little or very few churches amongst them. And so if you look at all the unreached people groups, the UPGs, they call them, of the world, 97% of them are found in the 1040 window. It's very interesting. Hey, They talk about this area as the final frontier of the gospel to go to. In other words, if you've never heard of this 1040 window, you may be completely oblivious of one of the greatest needs that the world has for the gospel to go into a predominantly Muslim, Buddhist, and Hindu area. And so we are very privileged. Africa has received, Sub-Saharan Africa has received the gospel a lot. North America, South America, Australia, Russia, and Europe. And Europe the gospel has gone there. And I'm not saying that everybody there is saved. Obviously not. What I'm trying to say to you is that in that portion of the world where the most people are that have never heard the gospel, we often forget about the reality that that area is in desperate need. So what is it? Where is this all going to? We're talking this morning about us being together. We've spoken about together for worship. Together we are as a church in giving, we, together we are for growth. We want to grow in our walk with God. Together we want to serve. And this morning is our final one of the five where we talk about together on mission. And I'm not asking of you, please keep that map up there. I just want to keep on referring to it. I'm not asking you to now suddenly move to any of those areas. What I'm trying to tell, to tell you is that according to our statistics that we have, currently in that portion, the 1040 window, they reckon there's about 40,000 missionaries that live there and work amongst those people, trying to reach them with the gospel, which is a great thing, amen? But only 40,000 people amongst 5 billion. If you take the statistics into, for instance, 
Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, you would say maybe there's a billion people. I don't know how many in sub-Saharan, but actually Nigeria is already in the 1040 there. But you will find that there's a couple of hundred thousand or a couple of million people living in, in sub-Saharan Africa with hobos of missionaries. But in the 1040, we have very few. What we also have, according to American statistics, is that there's about 2 million Americans working in that area. 2 million working in that 1040 window area. Doing all sorts of work, whether it's in education, whether it's they, they in the medical field, or whatever it is, construction. You have, according to the Americans, there's about 2 million of their people working into that area. If we take a very conservative statistic and say, of those 2 million Americans, let's say 10% of them are born again. Followers of Jesus. All right? How many does that give you? 10% of 2 million? 200,000. If we take those 200,000 American believers and we say they live with an understanding that as a believer, they're not just positioned in Kazakhstan or Pakistan or India or China to work and earn a living, but they have a kingdom mindset that when God moved them or they got an opportunity to work and move from New York to New Delhi, they understood that, hey, God is moving me. Hence, I've got a purpose to fulfill in New Delhi. And I can use my occupation that I'm fulfilling, the job that I have, to actually make a difference. And maybe I can be part of a church plant. Maybe I, maybe I can help the local Christians to grow in their faith. And my number could be added to the official 40,000 missionaries that those 200,000 vocational believers that are there by their job, their career, actually become missionaries themselves. So suddenly we move from 40,000 to 240,000 as a possibility. Where am I going? I'm coming to Zimbabwe. 1040 window is very real. And by the way, God stirs something in your heart. See, that's got to be God, hey. Because how many of you want to go live in Turkestan? Or Tamrignistan or Pakistan or whatever other place there is? None of us. Few people even travel there. Never mind, go live there. Point is, we as the people of God are on mission. But we don't have to necessarily go to these sometimes obscure places. But God wants to use, for instance, the people that relocate to any area of that, whether it is for business. We have friends in that area in the Middle East. That God had moved there for a kingdom purpose. They live in Doha. In Qatar, they live in Dubai, in Abu Dhabi, in those places. And not just because they're better jobs there, but they understand that, hey, there's a kingdom value in for us moving to these places. As much as they have done that to a new location, we've got to be awake about the fact that God has kept us here. And we have been positioned in Zimbabwe, in Bulawayo, for most of you, to understand that I have a kingdom purpose in this place. And therefore, I am on mission. Therefore, you are a missionary. Maybe anybody told you that before. Let me share it with you today that you, as a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary. You're not just a 
an engineer or a doctor or a teacher, whatever, a housewife. You are a missionary, my friend, if you understand what it means to be a sent one. And you don't need to actually relocate to, into the 1040 window or wherever it may be. You've got to just understand the responsibility you have today as a follower of Christ and recognize that God calls ordinary people. Say it with me, ordinary. Say it with me, ordinary. It's just ordinary people like you and me. And what I want to show you this morning is that the beautiful thing that happens when God uses ordinary people. Just look around and, and just shout. No, you don't have to shout it. Just share with your neighbor and say, hey, you're ordinary. As much as what I am ordinary. Hey? We're all just ordinary people. There's a, there's a man by the name of um, Winky Pratney. Interesting name. He said the following. I've got it up here. He's a Christian author and leader from New Zealand. Um, he quotes the following. It says, those that God used in the past were just ordinary people with an extraordinary master. They were not all champions of great faith, but little people who saw their own need and put their small faith in a great God. And so I want to just say to you, first of all, God wants to use people like you and me. We don't have to be anybody special because none of us are anybody special. But what we've come to think and sometimes even believe is that we've got to be somebody special to be used by God. I know you don't want to say amen to that because then you'll actually acknowledge your own ignorance. It's not one of those moments where people are like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Amen, amen. Because if you do, you realize that mm, that's what I believed and it's a wrong belief. So this morning, I've got to kind of unlearn certain things from you. That is the right way of putting it. I've got to get rid of some false understanding of what it means to be used by God. Because we are together on mission. It's not just the elders are on mission. The leaders in the church are on mission. No, it's together. We are all on mission. And again, the amens flow when you say that. Hey, it's like you guys are like seriously excited about these things. <laughs> God used ordinary people in the Old Testament. He used Noah. Noah drank too much, but God used him to build the ark to save the world. Abraham and Sarah, they were old, washed-up couple who God used to build a nation. Joseph, he was an entitled teen, went through God's classroom, trained him to save both Egypt and Israel. Moses, he was a stutterer, who was God's spokesman and leader. Rahab, she was a prostitute who God used to help his spies and overtake Jericho. Jonah tried to escape God, run away from God, who brought God who God brought back to save Nineveh. And Esther, she was the adopted orphan who became queen to save Israel. Just ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and me. Nobody's special. Nobody if they've gone to huge institutions to study and prepare themselves for what God had in mind for them to become and to do. Ordinary people. In the New Testament, let me take you to a verse that'll be quite good to read and we're going to talk about a couple of verses here from the book of acts are you still good you're ordinary people hey and i say that with no derogatory um thing in our hearts we just want to encourage one another that god uses 
simple people like you and me. Listen to the, a beautiful explanation or a reference to this ordinariness of, uh, of people. In chapter 4 of, of Acts, it says the following in verse 13. So what had happened is Jesus had, had now been around, Jesus left, and his, then his disciples, which became the apostles, they started preaching. And these were guys who were just ordinary people like you and me. And when they started preaching, it just dumbfounded or, or just absolutely astonished the people that they were speaking to because they were not trained. And it says here in verse 13, Acts 4 verse 13. Now when they, they are the, 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 the religious elite, the people that had all the responsibility of religiously leading the nation, the Jews. And so they were the trained and, and appointed people. And so when these people came and they preached, they couldn't understand it. They said, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They were astonished. And it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed, because they had healed someone, Peter and John did, through God, standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They obviously would have tried to say, stop, this is not possible. But here's a guy that's healed. Can't deny the fact that something miraculously happened. And so that God was at work through common people. You've got to look at the word in Greek. Again, when we go back to the original language, it's so helpful for us to understand. So when you go back to the word that is used here for common, or what we also use for ordinary, the Greek word here for common, listen, listen, you've got to hold your horses, is the Greek word idiotes. Idiotes. Immediately that kind of rings, eh? We, we have an English word that comes from that possibly. Uh-huh. And, and so the, when you read, and, and unfortunately, the original idiotes actually just meant untrained, unskilled, or ungifted. What we have through language have done, we've actually kind of crucified it a little bit and made it extremely bad. And we've come up with idiot, which is a stupid person. But the original Greek word for idiotes actually just means untrained, unskilled, and ungifted. And so when we say to one another, you idiot, it actually just not, should not mean the extreme thing of you stupid person. It should just actually mean you're an unskilled person, untrained. And these are the people that God used. Idiotes. So if I'd call you all idiots... <laughs> It's actually a good thing. Eh? I'm just saying, we're common people. I'll be an idiot then. If I can be a common person, or an ordinary one used by God, God, I'll be a whatever it is that you want to call me. Just use me. So I'm trying to just point to you that we are all actually just common, ordinary people that God can use. And it carries on in Acts 8 verse 1. Let me show you this. Now, now, what had happened in the meantime, so that the gospel is preached and, and many people get saved, and, and, but the Roman Empire doesn't like this. 
neither does the Jewish establishment appreciate it at all because they're preaching a gospel that is against the Jewish faith. They're saying Jesus had come to die for your sins. You don't need to keep all these laws to be saved. It is through what Christ has done. So now there's persecution. The Romans are saying, yeah, you're preaching a different kingdom because there's only our kingdom. The Jews are saying you're preaching another Savior, Messiah. Uh, we don't accept that. And so people are persecuted for their faith. And it's actually the church trying to kill, not the church established that, that we know of later on, but the, the religious community. And so the people scattered. And in verse 8, of chapter 8 rather, verse 1, listen to this. And Saul approved of his execution, the man called Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. If you know your Bible a little bit, you'll read in Acts 1 verse 8 that some of that is fulfilled in Acts 8 verse 1. Acts 1 verse 8 says, Jesus is speaking and said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the other most parts of the world. It hasn't happened yet. It was just in Jerusalem. Acts 8 happens through persecution. Now they're scattered. And where do they go? Beyond Jerusalem. They go to Judea. They go to Samaria. And eventually the ends of the world. And so what needed to happen is now taking place. But listen to whom it's happening. It says they went throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. So who went then? Come on. Eh? The idiots. That's it. The idiotes. They went. Because the apostles remained behind. They were leading the church. And so God scatters the people. The common people. And the common people take the gospel throughout the world. Not these special, entitled, um, learned sophisticated people, it was the ordinary ones that went. So much so that they didn't have names. We don't have names. I'll prove it to you. Acts 11, go there with me. Because now we're seeing that what has done, what has happened is that people were scattered. Listen to me as we read in Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered, we just heard that there were people scattered, correct? Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. We go back to this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Here we come with a, a kind of just a clarification of who these guys were, just to know, I mean exactly, who were the names of the people amongst them that did this. Here it is. Listen to it. But there were some of them. Men of Cyprus. And Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so the names of the people are, some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene. Who were they? They were people that, that were scattered. And the Bible said they were simply called some of them. How many of you like to be called some of them? I just call some of them. Those are the guys that God uses, some of them. It's like no names. No, no. Don't you, don't you know that 
you know, you've got to just add the name Vesi there because it gives me some recognition, you know. It's like, who, got, who was the one that God used to establish the church in Antioch here? I, I don't know. It's just some of them. Just some of these guys. Is there no name? Yeah, I don't know. Just some of them. It's just a couple of ordinary people. But what we do with being on mission and saying that we've got a world to reach and, a, and, and, and people to share the gospel with and to live a life of, of, of following Christ in front of, we say it's only for those few that, that are educated to do it. The rest of us, the some of them, we're not important. We can't do it. I want to blow that thing out of your minds this morning by just the truth from Scripture. Let me show you something else. By the way, the, the historians say that by the end of the first century, 100 after Christ, all right, that there were three main centers in the world, in church centers. It was Antioch, here in Acts 11. There was one in Alexandra, North Africa, and there was Rome. And they say that none of those places had any name linked to it of a specific church leader that was significant enough to be recorded. It was, again, simply some of them people, ordinary people. Romans 16, let me show you further just how Paul also celebrates this thing of some of them. He, he finishes his letter. Romans 16. I love the way in which Paul often finishes his letters. Because in that, he helps us and he illustrates to us how important it is to recognize people doing ordinary things. And here in, in, in chapter 16, we find that Paul's friends are mentioned and, 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 and also why he mentions them and why he celebrates them. And so this is from verses 1 to 15. And we don't have the time to go through all of them because you're going to listen to words like Andronicus and Junia and uh, Urbanus and Apelles and Stachis and, and Herodian and Tryphena and Tryposa, names that you've heard before. Hey, how many of you have heard Paul before? Peter, James, John. And we only look at those names and we're like, yeah, those are the big guys. Those are the big numbers here, yeah. Big guns in the Bible. But, but yeah, we have big guns too that we often just ignore because we don't compare them to being big. Because we think that ordinary is not big. Oh, it's the guy on the stage that's big. And we've got we've to really break that, that mindset. And we've got to redeem that what happens there actually be other side and we often say this i love to say it what is the power of the church is not on the side of the pulpit the power of the church on the other side of the pulpit we're going to celebrate you and i'm one of you we're all ordinary people and paul does this and he says the following to to some of these people he he writes about phoebe in verses one he says i commend to you our sister phoebe a servant of the church at saint Crea." that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she needs from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Come on, just Phoebe. How many of you heard of Phoebe in the Bible? Hey, celebrating her. Then he carries on. He says, greet Prisca, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, for, but all the churches of 
of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So these are guys that, that combined business and ministry, because we know this a little bit about them from the book of Acts, that that's what they did. They combined their business with being involved in local church and opened their home to the church, and, and they celebrated here. Then he, then he also talks about verse 5. He says, um, Greet my beloved Epanetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. He's just a great friend. Just a guy that came to know the Lord. He just, this is my beloved friend. It's like just something special to mention. We don't even know what he did, but he's a friend. He's just an ordinary person. We read about Mary who had worked hard in the church in verse 6. We read about Andronicus and Junius. Who, they were in prison with him. He's, he, he celebrates them. We read about the mother of Rufus. She doesn't even have a name yet, but Rufus's mother cared for Paul like a mother would have done. In verse 13, you read that. Ordinary people that Paul comes and he says, you know what? These are simple people. You go to the next page in your Bible and you read what Paul then says about people like this. Go with me. The R is coming down, ladies and gentlemen. Together. <laughs> in verses 26 of chapter 1, in 1 Corinthians, it's literally on your next page. Verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. He's now celebrating this fact that ordinary people can be used by God. He says, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Anybody that can identify with this? Anyone? I just want to say I can. <laughs> All right. This is a very good moment to be humble. <laughs> so it's good to raise your hand. And you're not used to that in church. It's fine. But just kind of agree and say, hey, that's, that's me. I'm not, I don't, I'm not wise according to worldly standards. I'm not powerful. I'm, I've got no noble, you know, decency whatever, or descendancy. But it says in verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is his written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul is just saying, guys, what we have and who we are, is all because of what Christ has done for us. We have nothing to boast about. And I say that with all respect to each one of you. I include myself. In the flesh, I have nothing to boast about. I cannot boast on my heritage, where I come from. Sometimes I don't even want to mention, perhaps, where I come from. I cannot boast in what I have, cannot boast in the knowledge I have, or the wisdom or the skills I have. But what I can boast is this, is that Jesus Christ is Lord, and He is so incredibly gracious that He chooses to use ordinary people like you and me to be on mission together, to bring about a change in this world. And so the first question was, 
or the first point was God wants to use people like you and me, ordinary people. The second point I just want to make is ask the question, how then does God want to use ordinary people? How is it possible that God could use us? Do we need to go through some training in an institution or whatever and, and get educated and then become the ones that he wants to use? Obviously, if I say yes to that, I'm going to mess up my whole preach. But I won't say yes to it because God uses us just as we are. He doesn't leave us as we are. Because how many of you know that it's been good to see God change you? Don't talk about, I'm not talking about your husband or your wife or your friend or whatever person next to you. I'm just saying God wants to change and keep on changing us. So the point is, how does God want to use ordinary people? And the first thing I want to say is just God wants to use us as we follow Jesus. As we follow Jesus. And, and Jesus said this in Matthew 4, verse 19. He said to these disciples, follow me. Follow me. He says, come and, and just come alongside. Come and follow me. So God's priority in terms of letting us be useful on this mission Wherever it may be, at school, at work, here in Bulawayo, here in the country called Zimbabwe and beyond, is firstly, as you follow Jesus, we have nothing to give unless we sit with a master to teach us who he is and show us who he really is. The second thing we do as we, as we can, as we are used by him, is that we, it's done as we let people observe our walk with Jesus. So now you say, I follow Jesus, but I don't want people to see what I do. It's like, it's again, a contradiction in terms. Because Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so as you follow Christ and as you observe what he says and you obey what he told you to do, you're willing to let other people see it and then influence their lives. And through that, you are a fisher of men. You're letting them observe how you follow Jesus. And I'm not saying that we're perfect in that. I'm just saying that we cannot let people observe something that we're not doing and faithful with in terms of faithfully following him. We appear in front of others in whatever environment we might find ourselves so that they may see who Christ is by looking at our lives. You don't say, let me take you to our pastor. Let him tell you who Jesus is. No, you look at my life. And we don't do that in arrogance and pride. Say, look at me as I follow Jesus. And listen, I'm going to make mistakes. But that's why it's so important that the moment you say yes to Jesus, and you say, yes, I'll follow him, you are already a sent one. You are a missionary. Wherever you may go. Some of you go full-time and you do that part of your career. And many people, like I said, 40,000 currently in, in the 1040 window. But most people go into a secular context and follow Christ there. And they continue to also be missionaries in that environment. That's how the world has changed. Because you know what? I can reach people on a Sunday, maybe 100, maybe 200, whatever. And there are churches I know that can do more. But you know what? When you understand that you are a missionary, when you go out into the world, you become so much more effective than what I or any other preacher could ever do. 
because your life is lived in front of others. Where they wouldn't want to come to a meeting to listen to a, a guy preaching. They wouldn't want to turn on and listen or watch a preach. But you are with them. And God has put you there to be his instrument. The third thing I want to say to you is, is how, do we, how does God use us? I want to say is it happens as we introduce order where chaos exists. In Genesis, we have this incredible story that out of creation, God came and he introduced order where there was nothingness. And I believe as you look at that verse and, and how God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, listen, I want you to rule. I want you to have dominion. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be multiplying. I want you to be effective here in what I've put you in. And obviously sin came and, and interrupted that. But it's still part of God's order to us and his charge upon our lives is to bring what he had started, that order, into the world. And so we fulfill our task as missionaries by bringing order into a chaotic world. And how many of you know there's chaos around us? Amen? You know what? I can, I can do a certain amount of things and certain, accomplish a few things here on a Sunday by encouraging you, by equipping you. That's my task. My task is to equip you. Our task as elders is, is to enthuse you and equip you in what God wants you to be when you go from here. Because you go into a chaotic world. And some of it starts at home. All due respect. Some of it is, is at work. When you sit next to a colleague and, and there's a brokenness. And there's something just not in place. And you, much better than what I can, can bring order by bringing godly principles and godly counsel into that moment and into that situation. You are much more connected than what many of, of the full-time people in any church would be because you're out there into the mission field. So you need to change your mind about the reality that people are not changed by just bringing them to a Sunday meeting. But people are changed as you take on your responsibility and go and be a person of order in a chaotic world. And not reprimand and, and judge and condemn, but lovingly guide them towards the order. The next thing I want to say to you that, that makes such a huge difference as we are used by God is it happens as we display community where individualism exists. There's a quote here that I want to show you, and we're going to come back to that verse. Can we just, there's a quote that says, God's extraordinary work is most often done by ordinary people in the seeming obscurity of a home and family. And the story comes from Jeremiah 29. And, and I'm going to just blow some of your um, theological perspectives on Jeremiah 29 a bit this morning. Are you ready? Because most of you or many of you, have, have, there's one verse that we often quote about God's good plans for us. It's Jeremiah 29 verse 11. And I'm not mocking. I'm just saying sometimes often we take it out of proportion and out of context. 29 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Hey? What a beautiful thing to have. 
But let me share with you from verse 7 that God was speaking to the exiled people of Israel, not, in home, not at home at the time, but in Babylon, in captivity. And he was saying to them, don't worry, I'll be with you. And the future that I have for you is a good one. You've got to just trust me. But in the midst of that, God was saying to them, this is what I want you to do. So listen with me from verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have, whom I have sent into exile. God had done it. Carries on. It says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Then he later on, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you are good to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you. This is the context. This is the context. So if you find yourself sometimes in spiritual exile, oh, I'm by myself. I don't know where I'm going. Just remember, God is with you. He's not going to leave you there. But what we can so easily revert to, and that's why I use this statement, we need to display community where individualism exists. Yeah, we live on earth and we try to do our own thing. Yet God speaks to the people through Jeremiah and says, no, no, no. Build family. Build homes. Look out for each other. Look out for the benefit, the welfare of the city, not just your own. Don't just go around and build your own little thing. And that's what COVID is doing to us at the moment. We're trying to build our own little world and stay separate from people. Well done for being here this morning, by the way. But we've got a purposefully, part of our mission task is to reach out to people that have become afraid of this. And I understand the sickness thing and the spreading and all that stuff. But you know what? We've got to still pursue people. And you need to help. You need to help. You're missionaries. You're out there in the mission field. And we've got to make sure that we build community and not individualism. We've got to break that thing because in individualism, there's great danger. The Bible says, he who isolates himself digs his own grave. Why would you start pulling away from people? It's not helpful. The last thing I want to say that we need to do to be used by God is we need to, it happens as we bring light where darkness exists. And we live in a world where there's a lot of darkness. We know that it manifests itself in what I said earlier on in chaos, things out of order, where people pull away from one another. But there is a reality that the enemy is out there. We deal with Satan himself, where he comes as a devil, comes to attack, and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. We've got to be aware of that. And so as missionaries, we go out and we bring light in the midst of darkness. Where there's fear, we bring hope. Where there's hatred, we bring love. And we've got to understand that we're going out into a world. You don't have to go into the 1040 window to experience darkness. You don't have to wait for Zesa to cut to experience darkness. Darkness is a spiritual element that is part of this world. And as missionaries, we take the light that Colossians Paul talks about and we take it into a world that is so desperate.
for the light of the gospel to shine in. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you this morning, please remove any pair of glasses that you've been wearing, spiritual ones that said, I am not capable, I'm not able, I'm not called, I'm not qualified enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not clever enough, I'm not wise enough, whatever that excuse had been. In Jesus' name, I ask you to believe the truth. That God uses ordinary people, idiotes, unskilled, untrained, ungifted people like you and me to bring about His purposes here on earth. And so this morning, we're going to break bread. And I want to ask you this morning as we break bread to recognize that heaven had introduced this whole thing of, of being sent. It wasn't a great idea from man. God the Father said, I will send my son so that you can receive forgiveness from your sins. And that's what communion is about. If you have a testimony this morning, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you have a testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, then this applies to you. Then you can come and break bread because otherwise that doesn't make sense to you. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, you've not understood what he'd done on the cross for you, then that will not make sense. We would love to help you if you don't know Jesus and you can talk to us afterwards. But the communion table is available for anybody who has a testimony that Jesus is Lord of your life, that you've confessed your sins before him and received forgiveness through what Christ had done on the cross. And then secondly, we celebrate what he had done. We recognize through the body or through the bread as the broken body of Christ. Through the cup, it's the blood that was spilled for our sins. And as you receive that this morning, I want to ask you for something extra. I want you to sign up in your heart. And nobody's going to know. I'm going to do not a piece of paper there. I want you to sign up to be a missionary for the king. Wherever God has called you, whatever God's called you to do, sign up. And say, Jesus, yeah, I want to be available for you. I want to work in whatever area it is that you've called me, that you've positioned me. Whatever you're good at, use it for the glory of God. And uh, may communion this morning be that to you. Recognizing what Jesus has done and honoring him for what he had done on the cross. And committing yourself to a similar lifestyle. And then as we, as we conclude, because out of, out of the communion, we'll just kind of let the meeting come to an end and land it. I want to ask you to consider picking up a card like this. And what it really means, it says it's just King City Church. And on the one side, it says loving people. And this is a practical way in which we want to love people. On the back side are spaces for 10 names. 10 people that you know that are far from God. And it's not come and hand it into the church. It's come and keep it somewhere where you can be reminded to pray for these people that are far from God. Not in any way judging them, but it's part of our missionary responsibility is not to just think about ourselves. Because I can, could have just put down here at the back your prayer request and it would have been easy to fill in, hey? But this morning I'm asking you to keep this card and fill in the names of the people that you trust in God to reveal himself to that they could too also recognize that their need for Christ and a Savior in their lives. And it's over here on this um, pedestal that you can grab a card if you would like.
Father, we thank you this morning for the fact that your son Jesus was sent by you so that we could understand what it means to receive. And this morning we receive your free gift. And as we break bread, Lord God, I thank you that, that it will be made real again to us as we drink of the cup and break of the bread and recognize what Jesus has done. But at the same time, Father, I also ask that people will be stirred towards signing up and saying, here I am. I want to be together on mission, together with you and together with my fellow brothers and sisters. I want to reach into the city of Bilbao and beyond and to make a difference. And I pray, Lord God, that you will help us with that. Thank you, Jesus, that we will be known not by people, but be known as a church that we are on mission, that we are people who are sent out to make a difference. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things for our King and our God. God, I trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.